Welcome to the Heavenly Banquet. This is Charlotte, and I've got Chad with me again to talk some more about spiritual practices. We're going to be a little bit more practical this episode and talk about some concrete examples from the tradition. So I'm going to pass it right over to Chad to uh, get us started with uh, what what comes to mind. Well, the the big one, I think, is corporate worship, right? That's probably the primary spiritual practice that Christians engage in, uh, gathering together, mm-hmm. hearing the word proclaimed, sharing in the sacrament. So, yeah, that's that's the main one. I think right up there is prayer. Well, sure. I mean, prayer is the heart of Christian worship, right, Calvin? Even Calvin would say yeah. that. It's not scripture, well, so it's prayer. Like we were talking about in the last episode, it's, it's mm. the heart of spiritual practice, personal, you know, I would think. I don't know what the Christian life looks like without prayer. I guess I'll put it that way. Well, it seems, yeah. I mean, it seems to be so foundational uh, that it even the disciples assumed that it would be part of the Christian life. I mean, of course, there's prayer in the Jewish tradition they uh, but uh but they're asking come to Jesus and ask yeah. teach us how to pray yeah. right and so not just of course seeing him praying right and trying gosh that man is just trying to run from them crowds he just needs like, some peace three quarters of the gospel just trying to get away to have some alone time to pray isn't he he is crossing the sea of Galilee back and forth and just back give the man forth. a moment to pray y'all <laughs> He had to go to the wilderness for 40 days to try to do it. Um, but but this idea, te- teach us how to pray. We want to pray like like you do, mm-hmm. uh, to to be imitators of you and to to have this, to seek this union uh, that you have with God within your own self. But uh and the f- so yeah, and the fact that he yeah. did pursue space and time alone for prayer. Mm-hmm. That's So I think when we think about prayer, the first thing that comes to mind, um, Lord's Prayer, of course, but more generally, sure. what we would refer to as discursive prayer, where we are speaking, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. right. And perhaps, using all those words again. Yeah, using all those words. And perhaps in some folks' minds, that's all that prayer is, is me sending up my petitions or requests to God or thanksgivings. And certainly those are primary features of prayer, I think. Praising God, uh, thanking God, making requests. But all that to say, all that, all of that is us speaking. Um, and you have to wonder when Jesus is going out the whole night, uh, in prayer, I mean, is he just babbling away the whole time? Um, I would think probably not. But we spend a lot of time speaking in prayer, um, and maybe there's room also for listening and, and stillness, which we'll get into. But I think one primary form of prayer is what we refer to as discursive prayer. Sure. I'll share this, and this is kind of out of my personal experience, but it's been in traditionally uh throughout the Christian faith, and that is using the Psalms to pray, to speak for us in a sense. When I really started getting serious about prayers as a, as a spiritual practice, I, 
praying the Psalms I found to be very helpful. Yeah, I think I think those are useful. Not I'm just going to interrupt you. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> not only uh, as a model of prayer, uh, you know, there's different the different forms within the Psalms. I think those really useful for people to turn to as well because prayer. Sometimes I find prayer almost intimidating because I don't want to babble before God mm-hmm. and I'm not sure what to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to have something uh, that's in our common language is helpful. And so the Psalms are one of those places uh, to turn to, to try to pray through the Psalms. Um, of course, the common prayer, the common language of the church is another place. Um, another tool that I think gets overlooked that I put in this category too is our hymnals, mm. which I mean, the psalm, the psalter is a, a sung prayers, right? Uh, we have a book of that in our Bible, right? Um, and we have this common language of song uh, in the Christian tradition oh. too in our hymnals. Um, and to use that. Uh, volume as a sort of devotional mm-hmm. to actually read through every verse. Um, you miss some of the text when you're singing it, okay. right? You're worried about other stuff, if stuff, especially if they are. You're singing un, more less familiar songs, mm-hmm. right? You're more worried about getting the the notes of the rhythm right than uh, what else is really going on theologically. Um, but all of us who have a common Book of Song for our denomination, uh, etc., has wide variety of historical examples of prayers within there. Within the so- the uh, hymns themselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think you not only get to explore the theology of those hymns and the theology of prayer, but just like with praying the Psalms or praying those the common prayer, you begin to take on some of that language yourself, right? right? And so then. If you are, um, you know, approaching your own petitions, um, the, then you have language from which to draw mm-hmm. when when you want to speak directly um, to God in other ways. Yeah, and challenge. But you can also say nothing at all, right? That so too. Yeah. Talk. Tell us some more about that. So yeah, there's a long tradition, and I refer to it as a contemplative tradition in the Christian faith which is simply being attentive to God, right? Uh, sitting in silence, <laughs> being attentive to God, which sounds, I don't know, maybe it sounds easy. It is very difficult. So I'll just give an example. Um, and I believe he's from around the 1300s, Francisco de Asuna. He suggests that you sit, I think he says two hours, uh, being mm. silent and still, and um, being attentive to God, uh, to God's ubiquitous presence. Um, And of course, when a person tries this, the first five minutes you realize being attentive to God's presence is not easy at all. Um, You know, you start thinking about the laundry or what you have to do when you finish. Uh, But that is a, a form of prayer that has a long tradition in the Christian faith, there's a go. You mentioned the uh, desert fathers and mothers in the last episode, I believe. Uh, there's a quote. Well, I'm not going to remember the quote, but there's a saying by one of the uh, desert fathers, and you know, people would come to these 
hermits and monks or, or whatever and would ask for a word of wisdom and they would say a few lines and we have a lot of these sayings recorded and one of them mm-hmm. is you know the the person came and said give me a word of wisdom he says go in your cell and it will teach you everything well what's in your cell mm-hmm. nothing you know in their cell it's just them sitting in silence but somehow and i think this goes back to you can think of elijah right the storm comes and breaks the rocks and the wind and all these incredible phenomena happen, but God's not in any of that phenomena. God's in that silent, still small voice, as as it's often translated. There's something about sitting in silence that does a lot of work that it's, it's, it's hard to explain. Well, I think, yeah, I think, I think the fact that it's so hard to explain is even wrapped up in that idea of, silence being a still small voice right of silence itself being so profound Mm -hmm. that it has its own deafening sound right right uh that so there is something counterintuitive there but that in that silence that we encounter well we have to encounter ourselves in it which is usually where people Stop and say, oh, no, I don't much care for this. It really should come with the I mean, those intrusive. Yeah. Yeah. Here come your intrusive thoughts Mm -hmm. and all of this damage and abusive stuff that your mind does to itself. Our minds are so ugly to ourselves in different ways Um, and obsessive thoughts and all kinds of things that need to be cleared out. And um, and that can be really. Um, discouraging to encounter that more than discouraging um, and in most, to, to try to get through that. In most traditions that still have a living practice of contemplative prayer, they almost always, well, they always suggest that you have someone work with you. Someone you, yeah. yeah. In the, I guess in the Western tradition, it would have been the confessor in the Eastern tradition. It's, it's, it's usually their priest. But you don't go it alone, presumably. Yeah, that's such an important point. Uh, that uh, really, really, even the tradition of sort of hermits, right? There's still different ways in which they are checking in with spiritual mentors or even with each other mm-hmm. occasionally uh, to find something. Um, in the Celtic tradition, called a, a soul friend, right? Mm. Somebody that you can talk with about the experiences you have. Uh, try attempting to practice your faith and um, and and to be encouraged uh, that way. Yeah. yeah, you you don't go it alone. Right, it's, it's difficult work, and you shouldn't have to go go it alone. Yeah. So, yeah, there's the contemplative prayer tradition, and they're varied. I mean, one thing I think it's important as we talk about these things is there's no one set way to approach prayer or. There are various different approaches, um, but but that's one other. I want go ahead. Two hours, two hours is a luxury. Oh yeah, I'm glad you isn't brought it? that up. Yeah. How are we carving out some space for these things? Yeah. For ourselves. I mean, keep in mind, Francisco de Asuna says that, and he's a he's a monk in I guess the 13th century. He might have two hours. Most of us aren't going to have that. I think when most People talk about a practice of contemplative prayer. Certainly in my own practice, I started out just doing 15 minutes. 
most people yeah. can square away 15 minutes. But 15 minutes is a challenge. <laughs> Five minutes. No, it is. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people would find it to be challenging. I think I might I might find it to be challenging to do my sort of morning commute or whatnot without the radio yeah. or other distractions and to to start there with an appoint other appointments with silence, you know, yeah. to do chores around the house in silence without the TV or music or, you know, other things around me. Yeah. You know, just to even begin. And, and like you were saying, like you mentioned in the last podcast, the idea is that 10 minutes or 15 minutes, um, trying to carry that awareness, that attentiveness to God throughout your day, which, you know, you're not going to do it perfectly, but to nurture that kind of, I'll just share some of my experience. One thing I've learned in keeping up a prayer of a, a practice of contemplative prayer of just sitting. Usually I do at this point, I do 20 or 30 minutes is eventually there, there becomes this space between what's happening in the world and my reaction to it. I don't, mm. I don't know if that makes sense Be, because what you're doing as you're sitting in prayer is you're, you're watching thoughts go by and you're not clinging to them. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you just uh, try to let them go. If you start thinking about the laundry and I'll, I'll share a trick that I use. If, if I'm sitting there, uh, trying to be aware of God, and I start thinking about the laundry, I will simply say to myself, I'm thinking about the laundry. And the moment I name it, I can let it go. Mm, that's interesting, yeah. But when you nurture a practice of letting thoughts go, you begin to realize, I am not my thoughts. You know, thoughts come and go all the time. I don't have to cling to them. And I think that's part of what creates a space between what's happening in the world and my reaction to it. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, that's really helpful, I think. Yeah. So there are some real practical benefits, uh, you know, to a spiritual practice like sitting in stillness and silence for 15 minutes. Um, but anyways, another uh, spiritual practice, of course, as we've talked about, is reading scripture. Did I say that right? Yeah. Spiritual practice is... Uh, <laughs> in my mind, I thought I said another scripture practice is reading scripture. <laughs> Is that what I said? No, you said it right. I was wondering like how you could possibly say it wrong. Okay. Am I pronouncing that right? Scripture? Scripture? Yeah. Is my That's a weird it is a weird consonant cluster, isn't it? Okay, yeah, you nailed it, buddy. Oh good. Reading scripture. Okay. So what what's the difference between studying scripture and reading scripture as a spiritual practice? Again, I'll talk about my own experience. It's all I really know. If I'm studying scripture, you know, I'm, I'm reading it and trying to pull ideas from it, maybe a moral from it. Maybe I would look at a commentary. Maybe I would, um, I'm trying to learn something from it. When we approach scripture as a spiritual practice, the idea is to let the scripture speak to us. And again, doing it with that being attentive of God's presence as I do it. All right. So there is there there is a practice that has been developed to help us do this. It's called Lectio Divina, right? Which is Latin for, I believe, divine reading. And it's a it's a way to prayerfully not just read scripture, but to help reading scripture lead us into 
prayer and ultimately contemplative prayer. So it has four steps. The first step is reading, right? So you take a passage and, and you know, you don't want to read a whole chapter. You want to read really a fairly short, maybe a couple verses or so, and just slowly just try to read the words and grasp what they mean and just kind of sit with them, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. as you're reading and just let thoughts come to you as you're reading. And so after you read, sit and reflect is the second step. Or just reflect on the reading and things that come to mind. And then the third step is to pray on whatever you reflected on. And then the fourth step is to sit in silence and let God essentially speak to you. So it leads to contemplative Mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. Another spiritual practice, and this goes back to the three pillars of Lent, is fasting. You know, fasting is not something we see Protestants do much at all, I don't think. In my experience, and we keep ragging on Protestants, and I'm, I'm sorry about that, but we need... Well, that's who we are, yeah. and we're ragging on Listen, our it, own. You, we happens. can punch down on our Yeah. Again, as with so many spiritual practices, I think the idea with fasting... Well, Jesus says as much. That fasting and, and prayer go together. Traditionally, Christians fasted, especially during Lent. They fasted on Wednesday and Friday. But what's, what's the point? I mean... And I always approach these practices from a very practical point of view. And one thing I've noticed is fasting does help me have a clear mind. Mm. I mean, just in general, and this is myself, if I have to write something, I'm always better in the morning than I am in the afternoon. Once I eat food, I'm just worthless. My mind just goes If you tell me, oh, I'm going to eat a nice big meal and go pray. No, you're not. You're going to eat a nice big meal and go take a nap. That's what you're going to do. Food really, I think, (laughs) bogs us down. So I do think fasting is, I think the idea is not just aimed at prayer, but I think it helps clarity in, in prayer. I don't know. That's my experience anyway. Is there anywhere in the tradition that you know of that, equates or contemplates the idea of fasting with solidarity with the poor? Mm -hmm. I think so. (laughs) But nothing specific comes to mind. I love, thank you for just randomly agreeing with my No, I think so. I'm I'm just, nothing's coming to mind exactly. It just, it's also come to my mind, like even the idea that we've, we choose not to Which eat. Which is different. Yeah. Right? We choose to abstain from things that other people are literally hungry for to the point of, you know, despair and anguish. Right. Interesting. Perhaps in some ways problematic, but it, but it is longstanding in the Christian tradition. So, I don't think, um, you know, I don't think there's a virtue in being hungry purposely. There's nothing yeah. virtuous in it. But I do think... The experience of hunger, I mean, you just can't help but think of how uncomfortable it is, right? Right. And it's a short step to, oh, maybe being a little more empathetic to those who need food, maybe. I don't know. Right. The link between fasting and prayers, not just in the Christian tradition, but virtually any religious tradition makes... Sure. that connection. So I think, you know, humanity has just kind of discovered something there. I think it might be important to note, though, that there are some traditions that I think may use fasting more of that kind of mortification of the flesh purpose and 
and there's some more some dualism to some of those traditions yeah. that we don't want to bring into Christianity. Um, our bodies are good. Mm-hmm. God made right. us. Um, the our this creation is good. The way we were created was good. We're sustained by good things that God has provided. Good point. Um, and so we have to, I think, also separate. Although although the activities may be the same um, throughout a wide range of religious mm-hmm. traditions. I think the Christian spin take on them or usefulness of the tradition is a little different um, or has its own identity there. Right. So another subset of spiritual practices is going to be our acts of service, acts of love. And I think particularly those things that we were either specifically asked by Jesus to do, or that we saw Jesus do with his life. So visit and care for the sick visit the imprisoned, feed the hungry, care for the poor, mm. widows, orphans, all of all of these kinds of things are ways in which we can, again, this idea of union with God through imitation mm. of the divine life in some way of entering and of entering the gospels, right, through, through pursuing the life of the gospels would be sort of my perspective on some of those things. Would, do you have other thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I don't know about other thoughts, but yeah, I mean, loving others is a spiritual act. <laughs> but, and you brought this up, you, you mentioned this uh, the other day that we learn more about God and loving one another, you know, mm, uh, yeah. talk about the, the union of God, whatever you've done to the least of these you've done to me kind of thing that in serving one another, we draw closer to Christ. And so it is a spiritual practice. And maybe maybe that's a new thought uh, for some folks. Yeah, and I think it doesn't it doesn't all only have to be on this individual level mm-hmm. either, right? It can be like we were talking about love and justice and this idea of systemic or institutionalized love, right? Mm-hmm. But um, in some ways, but um, that your activism in the world, the way that you're seeking justice, mm-hmm. these these are spiritual practices. You're because again, you've joined with God's work of pursuing the good right. through um, through those activities as well. Yeah. I kind of want to bring up, you know, so many of some of the things that we think of as kind of traditional spiritual practice. And we're trying to bring some of these things into, you know, what actually works in our world and with our schedule, mm-hmm. right? So setting aside two hours for prayer is maybe impossible for some of us, but a shorter commute or getting up, 15, 10 minutes earlier mm-hmm. and making that time m- might be doable. Um, you know, the tradition has a, a real emphasis with the spiritual practice, even, even this idea of acts of love, this sort of servant perspective and this emphasis on humility throughout, mm-hmm. which some people need and, <laughs> and, but is also a very, but it's a very male oriented, I think. The humility. Um, yeah. Approach. I think, I think y'all need it because y'all got the audacity. Okay. So you need the humility. Um, there are ways in which that has been sort of spiritually abusive uh-huh. to women and folks on other folks on the underside, uh-huh. right? And there are ways in which I think if we're really going to define spiritual practices as the way that we live our faith, the way that we join in God's work 
um, are seeking union with God, then that means things like self-actualizing or growing into the person that God created us to be. Uh-huh. And for some of us, that does mean humbling ourselves a little bit or taking on some humility. Mm-hmm. For some folks, though, that actually means stepping out. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, um, so these groups, uh, you know. Um, the oppression that minorities have faced, that women have faced, that um, the poor have faced, etc. You know, I have been told over and over again for centuries and the whole culture around us even now is asking us to diminish ourselves, right, mm-hmm. in different ways to, I mean, even literally physically, but uh, to say, you know, just shh, quiet and that assertiveness can actually be a spiritual practice or something that people, other people need to make a habit of, right. Of um, becoming kind of emboldened in Christ to assert themselves and their identity as a beloved child of God. Mm. Right. And this reminder then union with God, this thing that's being pursued through spiritual practices also means that God is with you. Right. um, And that, that you can be empowered uh, to use your voice to take up space and to fight to fight for love and justice mm-hmm. and causes like this that you you can't do all those things through a yeah joined in partner with humility but you got to be loud sometimes <laughs> about it and that is that is is a difficult thing for some people and something a habit that needs to be built as well uh, as any of these um, more silent contemplative practices, etc. What about I didn't, I didn't the creation? What spiritual practices for this creation? Well, I think creation care is another place in which we're doing at least two things of imitating God, right? Mm-hmm. So we were specifically asked to care for creation, but also, um, you know, to join in God's work there as uh, as stewards of creation. So um, we worship the God who made this place. Oh. What in the, why in the world would we not be taking care of it? That's insane. But we don't. Uh, you know, and the ways that we think of the imprint of God's handiwork is all over creation. This is our general revelation. God made God made this stuff some way and you can you learn something about the the artist or the architect of something by that person's work right and um the ways that we're diminishing that through this um ecological catastrophes is just shameful and i think if we think about that as a way of diminishing the imprint or the ability even of people being able to see god's craft all around us. I was looking at one of the TVs in the restaurant was showing, I don't, I don't know what program it was, but the little river otter mm-hmm. right on its back with a rock, whenever he's just having a good old time. Yeah. Right. And I looked at it. They're so cute. They are so cute. Right. There is no reason for them to be that cute. <laughs> no. There's absolutely no reason for it. Right. right? There's, yeah. I mean, and, the, and they're not even a domesticated animal. I mean, dogs and cats, like maybe, you know, we end up self-selecting uh-huh. cute ones, right? Uh-huh. And we brought in and they got bred cuter, whatever, <laughs> right? They went from wolves to 
tiny chihuahuas <laughs> or whatever. But river otters or otters, whatever, sea otters, all otters, there's no reason for them to have these cute little faces. <laughs> None of their natural predators are like, oh, oh I was so going to eat you. But you look cute. But look at you. But God somehow took the t- moment of, I mean, I just, you know, there's something to, enjoyable for me yeah. to contemplate there anyway. Yeah. Like, does does our God, our creator have a sense of humor? <laughs> or is it, uh, you know, just a fondness? Or, you know, is that more of the fondness that we share as mammals, mm-hmm. you know? sort of toward one another um but it's not it's not a necessary attribute Mm -hmm. it's like an embellishment yeah on these on these otters it's not about function it's just something we know i think it's wonderful it is wonderful it speaks to us i think solitude did you want to say anything about that Uh, solitude is just a given Uh, at least it's implied very clearly when he says go in your room close the doors and pray, you know, that we will spend some time just God and I. But again, the purpose there is for God and us. You know, it's never just for me. I don't know. What are you thinking? You look like you're going to say something. I think that's really, I think that's, yeah, I agree. I um, I think that's another one of those things that's almost a luxury right now because we're so <laughs> connected to people with these, you know, devices that we hang or, you know, hold on to have in our pockets, right? And that I can be alone in my room and also having a conversation with six different people, mm-hmm. right? Through texts and Facebook messages and Twitter and all of these things coming in, mm-hmm. which I think that idea of will seem radical, but, you know, of a tech Sabbath as well as one of those ways to achieve something like this of saying, you know, from Friday night until sundown Saturday or, you know, whatever day is going to work with, you know, how your week is set Mm -hmm. up there, but you know, the devices go away and that you're sharing that news with other people that that's why you're going to, and they'll get into the habit with you too. I know there's a moment somebody's going, well, someone will have to get in contact with you. No, they don't. No. (laughs) Y'all remember the time. You don't. Y'all remember the time. Some of y'all, some of y'all won't. Remember the time when people called and you didn't answer, they just had to wait. Yeah, you talk to them tomorrow, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the next day, and that's okay. And, and an emergency, emergency, they will get you. They will figure out how to get you, right? So if if there is something, but that's a serious, that's talking about calling the local authorities to come and knock on your door or something. But there's people, they don't need to be, you're actually not only training yourself to give yourself some space and some solitude for either this contemplation or to um, other ways to be alone with yourself and with God, um, but you're starting to form that habit with other people too of what are healthy boundaries. I'm not just talking about your friends or family and other people in your life, but you know the way that our work and coworkers and all have bled into all of our lives outside of our actual office mm-hmm. hours and work hours now too. Just I'm not available. I'm not available. This is my time. This is my time with God. Um, leave a message. I'll talk to you tomorrow or the next day, you know? Yeah. Um, The spiritual. And if you don't want to leave a message, you're not going to hear from me. So, and that's uh, maybe back to this, some of this assertiveness too, of saying I'm worth, I'm worth time alone. I'm worth time with God. 
I'm worth uh, making space for these practices and to be with the one or to strive to be with the one who created mm -hmm. me for for this love, for this life of love together. Yeah.